Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears and today we have a very exciting episode for you. We invite the CEO of National Breast Cancer Foundation, Cleola, onto the podcast to chat about being breast aware, how NBCF is making big strides to change the outcome of breast cancer and how men also need to be on the lookout for signs and symptoms too. But Clara, first, tell me about your week. Yeah, really good week. I've actually started to take on board some of the questions that you actually asked um, a couple of podcasts ago. So we spoke about me time and I think for some reason it just really hit home and I have been thinking about a lot more um, about how I actually incorporate me time. And look, it is one of those things where, as I said, it's really difficult as a mum to incorporate me time, but I also think it's difficult in general life anyway because People, you know, put so much into their calendars. So whether it be, you know, full work capacities and then they go home to their partners and they feel like they need to put 100% into their relationships and then, you know, friendships, like how many group chats does everyone have these days with all different friends and just trying to make enough time to see everyone and, you know, and really it's just doing all the things. And so... I really, I took a step back and I really thought about it. And since then, I have made a couple of changes that I really am excited about. And it's really coming down to not so much the changes themselves, but the idea that it's just for me. Um, And two of those changes have been, one is I've made a pact with John that I every afternoon will get an hour to myself. And when I say an hour to myself, I mean, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm taking the dog (laughs) and I'm just going to do a walk. So I was doing 20 minutes, um, but I've decided that I really want to do a full hour and see how that changes. And there's so many reasons I want to do that. Some of it is, you know, we've been talking about stress lately. So some of it is just to relax and to de-stress. Some of it has been just that me time idea that it's time that's totally to myself. I don't have to, you know, I won't make a phone call. I might listen to a podcast. Um, I might, you know, take that time to kind of take in information that I want to take in. But realistically, it's time that I'm not going to be talking to anyone else. Then the other thing that I have started to do (laughs) which is I have found a masseuse that will come to the house. And so I have started to book regular massages. So I used to do this a lot when I was younger, probably two things. Younger, had a bit more disposable income uh, and also, you know, could obviously take half an afternoon off or whatever it is, Um, especially when I had to go there, you know, driving and all of that. It would be two to three hours to do that. Now I've found someone who comes to the house, so I can kind of go, it's, you know, I'm not really away. I'm not having to do all that driving time. I can just do an hour to myself in my own environment. Um, And it was great. The first one I did 
I got a body scrub. So I had a shower in my own house and then I had the massage and stuff and it was really relaxing, but it's also great for the muscles. Like, again, it's something around de-stressing and something that I genuinely enjoy. I like that idea. Like it was funny, I was talking to Masseuse and she said, it's funny that you're deciding to get a massage where someone has to touch you because a lot of mums just feel overtouched. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is, this is something that's for me. And so I thought I'm going to check in with you because we talked about it and see, have you progressed? Because I think everybody at home, I would like them to make a, a vow to themselves to do something for me time. And so I wanted to check in with you and see if there's anything that's progressed since our conversation because I know that you you kind of felt a little bit, I guess, taken aback by the thought that you didn't really have that much and you were, were doing all the things at the moment. Mm, yeah, definitely. I remember having that conversation and turning off the computer afterwards and sitting there like, what do I do for myself and how do I find that thing? And I reflected on things that brought me joy when I was a kid because I've always believed the hobbies Mm. that you have as a kid, they come back as when you're an adult. So two things that I absolutely love is swimming. I can't run to save my life, but put me in the water and you cannot get me out. So I've been trying to swim at the beach every morning. So I'll walk Bosco with my partner and then I'll zip down to the beach and just go for a swim. And it's in the ocean and it's such a beautiful feeling because there's these massive big fish that swim around you where I swim and it's just really nice Mm. to be in touch with nature that way. And then the second thing Mm. I do, which is a little bit quirky, so as you know, I'm such a sustainability buff. I live and breathe it. Two things that I hate is food waste. I hate putting my food waste in the bin. I'm like, what can I do with that? So it's kind of a two-part thing. I have been dyeing fabric with my food waste and then I have been pattern making clothes with that fabric. So like bucket hats or sundresses for summer. I'm dyeing them from turmeric scraps. I've got a pot of beetroot scraps at the moment that didn't turn into a very nice colour. When I studied fashion, it was such a creative time in my life where it's like the sky's the limit, design Mm. what you want. And then you kind of go into the work industry and you don't have that creative component that you necessarily had when you're studying. So having that outlet again, getting my sewing machine out, it's just, it's such an accomplishment when you do all the steps and then the design comes together. Like it's such a good feeling. I must admit that does remind me of like times of me making costumes at uni and having to like tea dye stains on there and stuff. Like I love that. I think that that's brilliant. And as you said, it's also tapping into that creative side, which I think a lot of people have let go of um, once they're, and I was thinking about this too, once you kind of get past the age of maybe your mid-20s, a lot mm-hmm. of people just let go of that creative side, just timing, I think, because creativity does take timing and it does take time to do stuff. Um, so I, I think that's fantastic. So I'm really glad. And now the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which I think this kind of leads into it because I've talked about stress and, you know, the things that I'm really focusing on are stress-related for me. So just making sure that I de-stress and decompress. For me, I live such a stimulated life in terms of, you know, A, I work full-time, so I'm on the computer all the time. 
I do a lot of research for work, trying to find different things um, for work and for, you know, for you guys, for the audience. So I'm doing a lot of research and I'm always on the computer and often that can be quite late at night because that's the time that I can really take time to think. Um, And then on top of that, you know, obviously watching television and all the digital side, so TV, social media, you know, all of that kind of stimulation that we talk about. But also the fact that just in everyday life now, you know, I think sometimes I'm over-talked. I don't mm. want to be talked to. Oh my god! I don't that was want to have conversations. But I think there's just so much stimulation that goes on, and even visual stimulation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about all the senses, so visually, we're overstimulated because we're looking at televisions, we're looking at computers, we're looking at phones, we're looking at this noise as well. So, as I said, we lead busy lifestyles. We're talking to people all the time. You know, at work, you you find that you're always talking to people. Come home, you've got your partners or you've got your family at home and you're talking. So it's just this living in an overstimulated state. Mm. And I really feel like it's time that we acknowledge that and start to strip some stuff out and just have some time where we aren't so stimulated. And I think it needs to be a conscious thing. I actually have some advice for this because I was feeling like this. This time last year, I was just waking up anxious and I was going to bed and I was Mm. on all the screens and I just really had to switch my whole daily routine. So I don't look at my phone before Mm. 8 o'clock now. It doesn't get touched. It gets put on flight mode. And then as soon as my partner is home from work, as soon as he's home, my phone will go on flight mode again because I don't need it. I know he's home safe. So Mm. I have 12 hours now where I don't have a screen. And that has been life-changing to not be have my phone so attached to me because, you know, on my computer all day, social media, like it is a lot. So I really need to have those boundaries. Mm. Otherwise, I feel like my body is in a nervous state. Because I was finding I was never in a rest and digest. And because of that, mm. I felt like I was packing on the weight because I was so stressed. And then I would hit these really low patches. And I was like, okay, I need to really be a bit more mindful because it's having a physical and mental effect on my body. And on that, do we actually need to be stimulated this much? Do we need to have an iPod uh, podcast on or TV on while we're cooking? Can we walk the dog without mm. AirPods in? Do we need to be calling a friend when we have a moment to ourselves? I know loneliness is a thing in this country, but I also think we need to enjoy being by ourselves. And mm. I feel like not having so much stimulation in our lives so we can enjoy those moments of peace and let our body rest and digest. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. So Clara, our guest today is the CEO of National Breast Cancer Foundation Australia, and she has also had an amazing career with 
working with the government and research to help all different cancers, not just breast cancer. But her mission is to make zero cases of breast cancer within Australia. So Cleola has joined us today to kind of dive into all the facts and information surrounding this. But before we jump into this chat, I just want to say one thing that I learned from this chat is to have awareness around your body. Whether you're male or female, you can be affected by this condition. Yeah, and I think one of those mic drop moments for me in this interview, again, is around the age. So the amount of women under 40 that are diagnosed with breast cancer and the growing concern around that as well and the and the research going into it. So, you know, there was there's a couple of reasons that she talks about, but also the aggressive nature of the cancer that can uh, affect women in that age bracket is it's, you know, it's quite scary. And I think also the other thing that um, really resonated with me is there is so much awareness around breast cancer in Australia. So they've done a brilliant job in terms of awareness, but there are still so many deaths. And yeah. it's it's one of these cancers that I think people sometimes get a little bit more complacent about because they do think, oh, there is so much awareness and, you know, there's so much funding and all of that kind of stuff, but there isn't. There isn't enough funding this organisation does such a good job in being able to help fund that vital research into breast cancer in Australia. And it really is, you know, she talks about the stats of how much government funding there is and how much that they, which actually indeed is everybody in Australia that contributes, how much money that actually equates to in terms of different research projects and how important that is to really, you know, their one mission is zero deaths in Australia and and that's and we're still quite a far way away from that. So, you know, it's such an important interview. Um, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so it's a really important interview at the moment. Absolutely. So let's jump into the chat. So thank you so much for joining us. Can you share a little bit about your background and what led you to become the CEO of National Breast Cancer Foundation? So I've got about 20 years of experience across the sort of academic, not-for-profit and public sectors. Mm. Very early on in my career, I was actually a medical researcher, um, but in the field of mm. reproductive biology. And I guess that was really my first opportunity to witness firsthand why mm. funding research is really so critical. Um, to achieving developments and breakthroughs that can really lead to long-term solutions and improve health outcomes. Um, after my time in medical research, um, I spent some, some years working in the not-for-profit sector but also working for the Australian government um, in a range of national roles and um, particularly in the cancer space. Mm. I had the opportunity to establish and implement a range of really different initiatives in both research and clinical trials, data, service development and clinical practice. And really working for the government, I was able to see the importance of research through mm. a different lens, particularly the importance of research in informing policy and clinical care and how we care for people who are affected by cancer. So 
um, I came to the NBCF and feel incredibly privileged um, to have been appointed as the CEO with quite a sort of diverse range of mm. experience um, and focus in cancer research and cancer generally in Australia, which allows me to be particularly focused, I guess, on NBCF's vision, which is mm. around zero deaths from breast cancer. So as the CEO, what is your overarching vision for the National Breast Cancer Foundation and particularly in advancing breast cancer research and supporting the community? So at the National Breast Cancer Foundation, we have a really simple but ambitious vision, which Mm. is zero deaths from breast cancer. And we're working really tirelessly towards a future where really no man or woman dies from this disease. So if we look back to when NBCF was founded in 1994, We've invested around $200 million into more than 600 world-class research projects in Australia. And if we look back in that time, the death rate from breast cancer in Australia has reduced by over 40%, which is absolutely extraordinary. But in the last 10 years, we've seen breast cancer diagnoses in Australia increase by over 20%. And... This year alone, we know that nine people will die from breast cancer each and every day in Australia. So while we've seen remarkable results, Mm. especially driven through research, um, we know the job's not done yet and it's possible to improve breast cancer outcomes further, but we really need the research to drive those improvements so we can really end deaths from breast cancer. That's incredible. Nine a day is just almost an overwhelming number of deaths. And I think um, a lot of people to the lay person out there, breast cancer has become, I mean, it's a scary cancer for women in particular and breast cancer for men I think is almost, un, you know, it should be spoken about more and more so that people are aware of the risks, that it's not just a female's cancer. But to hear that still, you know, still the death rate is at nine is just absolutely incredible. So can you highlight some of the key research initiatives um, and innovations the foundation is currently involved in? So you've talked about the research being just so key and so important in this area. So just this year alone, um, Mm. we've provided an additional $12 million to support 16 new breast cancer research projects across Australia. Wow. And those research projects include some really game-changing projects which are investigating Mm. things like why young women get breast cancer because we see about 1,000 women under the age of 40 being diagnosed with breast cancer each year in Australia. The research is also, we're funding research that looks at new personalised treatments for triple negative breast cancer, which we know is quite um, an aggressive and a hard-to-treat subtype of breast cancer. We're also funding research this year that looks at the effect of different treatments on the immune system Mm. in sites such as bones where um, when your breast cancer progresses or becomes metastatic, your Mm. breast cancer might go to the bone. So we're looking at different treatments Mm. um, in those metastatic sites. And we're also looking at a range of new hormonal treatments um, to try and prevent metastatic Mm. breast cancer from actually happening. And, you know, really these research projects together that we're funding this year could absolutely save lives through understanding how to better treat these hard-to-treat breast cancers and metastatic breast cancers 
um, as well as really looking at developing a range of new treatment options. We really feel that this is going to help reduce the sort of 3,200 deaths we see in Australia every year as a result of breast cancer diagnosis. Can I ask um, just quickly, you mentioned triple negative breast cancer. Mm. So what Mm. is that exactly? There are many different um, what we call subtypes of breast Mm. cancer. And what we often, um, when you're diagnosed with breast cancer, Mm. they will look at the cells in the breast cancer and they'll look at the type of receptors that those cells have. And the receptors that we normally look at are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, um, and a growth factor receptor. Right. Um, We then classify the breast tumours as to whether they're estrogen receptor positive, estrogen receptor negative, progesterone receptor positive, negative, and and growth factor. Um, the triple negative breast cancers uh, actually don't have any of those receptors. Mm. They're negative for all of them. And that then helps dictate your treatment as well. So, for example, if you don't have hormone receptors, then you're unlikely to respond to hormonal treatments. Mm. So it's really important that we understand when you're first diagnosed with breast cancer what subtype of breast cancer you actually have. Oh, fascinating. I didn't even know that much. Thank you. I, I thought it was just one area that, no, there's all different types. And, and therein lies a lot of the complexity of how we mm. treat breast cancer and sometimes the very different outcomes that women can experience from their breast cancer mm. because there's a range of different subtypes um, and women are often diagnosed at different stages um, of their breast cancer as well. Mm. So depending on the stage at which you're diagnosed, which generally refers to the size of your tumour and if it's still located within the breast or Mm. it's moved beyond the breast to other sites. Um, And that's why early detection is is so important to try and detect those breast cancers as early as possible. And may I ask, is it the same for men as women? Like do men have multiple versions of breast cancer that they can get? And when they check themselves like is it the same as when women check themselves for lumps absolutely so um men can also have similar subtypes of breast cancer to women and what we encourage men and women to be is um we talk about being breast aware so Mm. more than just checking for um you know physically checking for lumps which is important but we talk about general breast awareness so absolutely you know we always talk about Um, the fact that you know your breasts best. Mm. Um, Get to know what is the normal look and feel of your own breasts and look out for a new lump or lumpiness, especially if it's in one breast, but also look out for a change in the shape or the size of Mm. a breast. Also change to the nipple. So um, is there any discharge, sort of crusting, redness, inversion of the nipple? Um, or is there a change in the skin of the breast? So is there a redness or a dimpling of the skin or any unusual pain that won't go away? We really encourage people to be aware of any new or unusual changes in the breast, and if you notice any symptoms at all, um, you should absolutely seek sort of medical advice. Can I also ask a question on men and breast cancer? So obviously... Females, if there's a history of breast cancer, are encouraged to go and get early detection or early screening done. 
if that history is still within your family for the men, is that also encouraged or is it not as hereditary as it is seen in women? Unfortunately, there's no um, screening test for men. Um, wow, so, okay. So mammography, um, mm. which is throughout, which is the national breast screen program that we have where women who are aged 50 to 74 can access free mammograms every two years mm. um, in every state and territory around Australia. Um, the screening program, breast screening program, is particularly targeted at women 50 to mm. 74, but if you're over 40, you can still attend breast screening and if you're over 75, you can still also attend breast screening. Um, you just won't get the, the two yearly reminders um, okay. to attend, but you can absolutely attend um, the free service. Um, men who have, um, we know that there are two particularly strong genetic inherited changes called in the BRCA1 and 2 genes, mm. and that can inc significantly increase your risk of developing, developing a breast cancer, particularly if you're female. Mm. Um, what we find in men is that sometimes that predisposes them to um, also other inherited cancers as well. And Gosh. so I think if any family has, um, any family members have a BRCA1 and 2 mutation or any other genetic inherited mutation and they're concerned um, or they have a strong family history of um, breast, ovarian or prostate cancer, mm. um, people can go to their GP um, and discuss their concerns and be referred to a familial cancer centre mm. who can do some genetic testing for the individual and talk about um, options for early detection. Fantastic. I was totally unaware of that for men. That's really, really interesting. In Australia, we have over 20,000 new diagnoses of breast cancer each year mm. and around 200 of those are in men. Right. And... Of the sort of 3,200 deaths we see each year in Australia, about 30 to 40 of those deaths are in men. Education is obviously crucial when it comes to early detection, but what initiatives does your foundation undertake to promote awareness and early detection for women and for men? So NBCF regularly mm. uses its communication channels to raise awareness about breast cancer, but also the impact in Australia of breast cancer and the importance of research to try and improve outcomes. Um, with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's an opportunity for us to raise awareness about breast cancer, including um, the number of people that are diagnosed each mm. year, so with over 20,000, and these are new diagnoses. So that 20,000 doesn't include people who may have a recurrence of their breast cancer. These are brand new mm. diagnoses. So that's 57 people a day in Australia are being diagnosed with breast cancer. About 200 of them, you know, are men mm. and about 1,000 of those are women under the age of 40. Um, oh. And then, you know, soberingly, when we look at deaths, oh. we've got about 3,200 people dying each year from breast cancer as I said about 30 or 40 of those are men mm. and one woman every week under the age of 40 will die from their breast cancer so we regularly communicate the importance mm. of men and women to be breast aware because mm. we know that early detection is important in Australia um, if your breast cancer is diagnosed stage one which is means that it's 
a relatively small tumour and it's still confined to the breast, your five-year survival rate is actually 100%. Wow, it's great. Really extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, and that's something that we can all do. That's something that we can all be aware of is to um, be breast aware. And um, if you're a woman and you're eligible for breast screen, to actually then attend your breast screen appointments regularly. So you mentioned the stats around the 40, under 40 age bracket. And I guess it's one of those things that, you know, I, I hate to say this, but when you're under 40, you don't really a lot of the time think this affects you as much as it would affect your mum, right? So is that the reason why a lot of this is happening is because that that bracket is a little bit behind the uptake of checking their breasts and, you know, not seeing what the changes are and just not understanding that it can affect them? Or is it that what is affecting them is, you know, is a lot worse than what can affect older people? We do see that in certain young women, um, their breast cancers do tend to be more aggressive. Yeah, okay. I think there is an element of young women not realising that breast cancer can affect them, Mm. that they can have a diagnosis of breast cancer in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. Um, And while it's um, more common to be diagnosed with breast cancer as you age, it's still possible to be Mm. diagnosed with breast cancer at a young age. Um, So part of the awareness and education um, that we do, but also Mm. some of our partners do, um, is very much around um, ensuring that women of all ages and men Mm. understand the, you know, signs and symptoms uh, of breast cancer and immediately go to the GP. Um, We know that um, many people will have lumps in their breasts that will be benign Mm. Um, and not every breast lump will be breast cancer. In fact, most breast lumps probably may not be breast cancer, mm. but you cannot tell by feeling them um, mm. or you cannot tell by the symptom whether or not it's breast cancer, which is why we say treat everything, every symptom like it might be breast cancer and see your doctor straight away. Mm. So when you say that it's more aggressive with younger people, do you know why it's more aggressive? Look, it, it can be more aggressive in younger in younger women, um, and there's a lot of research um, looking into it. Sometimes it's about the subtype of breast cancer that they have. Mm. Um, sometimes in these young women, they have a very strong family history, which is why they've developed a breast cancer very early. But only about ten to fifteen percent of all breast cancers are actually due to a family history. So the vast majority of breast cancers are what we call sporadic breast cancers. They just happen and they're not due to an inherited genetic mutation. They're due to some sort of genetic mutation that just sporadically happens in a person. So is there lifestyle factors that can contribute to the prevention or management of breast cancer? Yes, um, absolutely. So we know that um, in when we think about lifestyle, There are things that are um, what we call non-modifiable risk factors. So they're the things that we can't change, which might be, you know, inherited genetic um, conditions. We can't change that. We're born with the genes that we're born with. Um, But there are what we call modifiable 
behavioural lifestyle factors that can reduce our risk and they include um, um, alcohol, um, having a healthy, uh, maintaining a healthy body weight, um, diet and lifestyle, exercise um, are all shown to be cumulatively protective against uh, reducing your risk of breast cancer. So you mentioned earlier that um, we have actually seen a decrease in the deaths and of breast cancer. So what have been some of the innovations in this space that have started to see those movements forward for breast cancer? We've seen some amazing progress in reducing Mm. the death rate from breast cancer and really those improvements um, haven't been because of just good luck. In because we've actually invested in research and we've applied that mm. research into, into clinical practice. Um, we're currently funding research which improves our understanding of how to better prevent and detect breast cancer, how we stop the progression and the recurrence of breast cancer because sometimes we see that some women might develop it, their breast cancer might come back years or decades after their first um, diagnosis and then we're also focusing on research around so some of those hard to treat breast cancers. So some of the research that we're funding um, includes research which is um, aimed to improve the um, prevention of breast cancer in women who are at a high genetic risk of developing breast cancers so that women with these BRCA1 gene mutations And so uh, we're funding research at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne, which is hoping to find some really safe and effective prevention strategies that can delay or even avoid um, the need for women to have mastectomies um, by providing them a a, a therapeutic way of treating breast cancer. Um, We've also, or preventing breast cancer, We've also um, invested very heavily in um, in a range of different treatments, so um, new forms of chemotherapy. We're funding a lot of research in looking at the role of immunotherapy, which is using your own immune system to actually fight breast cancer. Wow. Um, but we've also invested very heavily in being able to understand how we detect breast cancer early um, as well. and. All of that research, I think, cumulatively, both nationally and internationally, has helped reduce those um, significant drops in in death rates that we've seen for breast cancer so far. And may I ask for our listeners at home, what are some key methods for early detection that you can do at home? I know you mentioned some of the symptoms, but is there ways that you can check your body other than looking out for the symptom? Um, absolutely look out for those different signs and symptoms. Um, get to know the normal, as I said, look and feel of your breasts. Don't be feel afraid to feel your breasts and, and just do it in the normal course of um, having a shower, putting on body lotion. Um, feel your breasts, feel for any lumps. Um, but if you don't feel a lump but find another breast symptom, don't ignore it because sometimes it's not always easy to find those lumps and the particularly small ones um, may not always be very easy to find. So be aware of all of the breast symptoms and if you have any of them, go and see your doctor. And, of course, if you find um, any lump, please see your doctor straight away so they can investigate um, investigate what that is. 
Mm, We definitely all have to get comfortable with our own body. That's something I've learned from this podcast. And the one thing we've also learned is once you do find something and if there's anything's wrong, advocate for yourself in the medical field. Make sure that, you know, you know your body best and make sure that you're telling people that something is wrong and that it's just, you know, it's different. It's something needs to be investigated. So breast cancer affects so many individuals and families, but do you have a personal connection, Mm. which is why this has become such a mission and a passion for you? Most people know someone who's affected by breast cancer because Mm. it's it's so prevalent. It's the most common cancer in women in Australia. Um, And I think there's very few of us out there that don't have a personal connection with breast cancer, whether that's a family member, a friend, a colleague or a neighbour. I think many of us have been touched by breast cancer. Um, Personally, I've had a couple of very dear friends who were diagnosed with breast cancer um, in both in their early 40s. Um, unfortunately, one of my very dear girlfriends who was diagnosed in her early 40s had a breast cancer recurrence. Mm. Um, her breast cancer then spread to multiple sites and um, she actually passed away last year. She was 51 years old. Um, That's young. And yeah. it's, it's incredibly young. Yeah. Um, and many of us, I think, have been on a journey with someone who's mm. been diagnosed with breast cancer. And many of us, too many of us, have lost people who we care for incredibly deeply. Mm. So my personal experience, but also the stories that people share with me every single day, completely fuels my commitment um, and my passion to NBCF's vision of, sort of ending deaths from breast cancer. I can say my mum had breast cancer so it's exactly as you say the more people you speak to it has affected someone within their close circle. And then you shared your overall vision for National Breast Cancer Foundation but what are some key goals in the next few years that you would like to achieve? At NBCF because our vision is around um, ending deaths from breast cancer we're very much focused on funding the critical research that will drive us to ending deaths. And that is around particularly focusing on funding research that looks at how we um, prevent breast cancer from developing in the first Mm -hmm. place, how we are able to detect breast cancer at an early stage where it's more amenable to treatment, how we then stop the um, progression and the recurrence of breast cancer. So how do we fund research that stops, that looks at stopping breast cancer from coming back? And then particularly, I guess, our fourth pillar, which is very much a focus on how we treat those metastatic breast cancers when they do return, um, but also treating those hard-to-treat breast cancers, um, such as those triple negative breast cancers, where we know um, uh, people may have a poorer outcome from those breast cancers than others. So there really are sort of goals and priorities at the next coming years. So how can the community get involved in helping you in terms of fundraising or, you know, or donating? We can obviously put links all below so that you can continue to do this amazing work. Look, we are so um, reliant on the community. We're a completely Mm. community-funded organisation. Um, So all of our funds to fund research comes completely from the community and we've always relied on the real passion and power of individuals and and organisations to fund that. People can get involved in a variety of different ways. So as individuals, um, they can 
um, make a donation. They can um, participate in a community fundraising activity. Mm. They host a pink ribbon breakfast, for example, and bring their friends and family together and help raise money. Um, They can participate in individual activities. We've got a range of sporting activities that people can do um, and their friends can sponsor them and they can raise money. Um, It's also an opportunity we engage with a range of companies and corporate Mm. partners, um, so people with companies and businesses can support MBCF um, through different ways, again, either through direct donations um, or some companies sell, um, give us a percentage of um, sales of particular mm. products, pink products that they might have. Um, so there's multiple ways that people can give. Um, the other way that people can give is that they can um, also leave a, um, a gift in their will. Um, mm. And so there's... Uh, or you can become a regular giver and give, you know, a small proportion um, every every week um, as a direct debit donation to NBCF. Amazing. We'll definitely put links in our show notes below for any of our listeners who want to learn a little bit more or donate to this incredible charity. Cleola, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us today and share all the amazing things your organisation is doing. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.